In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, the mystical, the magical, the macabre, and all the way from across the pond is, well, I think he's back across the pond, is the rock star parapsychologist himself, the author of phone calls from the dead, Mr. Cal Cooper. Hi, Ron. How's it going? Good. So you decided to go home, huh? Yeah, yeah, I did. It was beautiful weather, though. Well, I was over there in Southern California and in Hollywood as well. That was uh, pretty nice, but I've come... But you come weather, back. Which... Yeah. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Well, oh, yeah well, definitely. You know, you, might, you guys must have, like, the crappiest internet service over in the U.K., because you always come in broken and half smashed no 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 ron that's richard and cal always coming broken and half smashed i, I have to admit steve you do steve, we are now talking with by the way uh the other uh the other wing of our trio here uh mr steve parsons parsons as we say across <laughs> so anyways i have put uh, a picture of richard on the milk bottles over here in the united states and if anybody can see him uh find him let him know he is gone missing uh he is disappeared wow it looks like i lost everyone no we're just looking for richard we we get there was a there was a moment there where we waited to see if he would pop in no he would not pop in he's totally lost he didn't get the message via carrier pigeon so that's the way it is uh, do we lose cal again cal i guess we did well cal. he'll be back he'll be back one of the day <laughs> this is doomed <laughs> yeah, it, it happens. I mean, I don't know where Cal broadcasts from. I, maybe it's some little Stonehenge or some ley lines or, or high EMF or I don't know. Maybe his K2 is not working properly. I have no clue, but we seem to always have a little problem with him. Well, you think these, these um, rock star parapsychologists would be able to afford Hello? decent technology and not use oh, wait, their iPhone? Do you, do you hear something there in the background? Vaguely in the distance. Hello? Yeah, that's we can hear you. Join hands and we'll shout out. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. 
All right, Steve, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, you think you would could afford a little better Hello? thing than... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Hello, Cal. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we yes. can. Oh, fantastic. For the, for the moment, anyways. <laughs> internet connection in all ports of them. We still haven't got the internet up and running yet. So this is the best I can do. So if I keep coming and going, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, it is what it is, as we say here in the States. So anyways, I understand that... Oh, first of all, before I, I do want to mention uh, that I am now halfway through my course in paranormal P, uh CSI that I'm teaching at the uh, local college here, and it's going really well. Uh, teach them all about EMF and K2s and all that cool stuff. Uh, what sort of things we, with uh, relation to uh, the K2s and the EMF are you actually... What's well, your you know, take I'm, on it, uh, Of course, I'm teaching them how to communicate with the dead. What, what, what do you think? <laughs> oh, you're a comedian. <laughs> You know, well, I actually have to talk to you about that sometime. But anyway, uh, let's let's talk what we're really going to talk about, and that's infrastructure, because it doesn't really get a lot of uh, press, especially here in the States. Uh, no, well, I, infrastructure won't, but infrasound might. Whatever. It's all that's the important. same to me. So explain to us what infrasound is, and I do apologize, it is infrasound. Okay, well, very, very simply, um, infrasound is is just plain old sound. I think everybody's familiar with the uh, dog whistle and the fact that the the uh, it works on frequencies that are too high for the human ear to detect. Well, at the other end of the scale, there are frequencies that are just too low for most normal people to hear, and so that's normally called infrasound. It's just very low sound. In all other respects, um, it's just normal, everyday sound. But like a lot of bass, um, I'm sure you've all set at traffic lights with the, uh, the kids behind with their boombox cars, mm -hmm. car stereos, and you hear the bass uh, long before you see the, the, the car. You hear and you feel the bass. Um, the bass does travel a long way, and, of course, infrasound being... Even lower in frequency will travel even further. But it's just plain old sound. Plain old sound. And, and what is the source of this plain old sound? Uh, well, the sources actually are all around us. Um, everything from the weather, um, the jet stream high up in the atmosphere as it pushes uh, the air aside 600 miles, at 600 miles or so an hour. Uh, waves crashing on, on beaches, um, Earthquakes, volcanoes, they're all the more natural uh, causes of infrasound. But there's an awful lot of um, man-made sources. So you would include uh, heavy traffic, uh, industrial processes, um, bombs, explosions, helicopters, jet aircraft. Anything mechanical um, and large will tend to have an infrasound component to it. So are you saying that we are being bombarded by infrasound every second of the day here? Oh, absolutely. Um, if we were to uh, bring an infrasound measuring device to where you are now, mm -hmm. um, it would probably register... Um, I don't know for exact... I mean, are you, are you in a rural area near industry or are you on the coast or in a town? 
street, which is the highway, a busy highway, uh, from the river. So I'm in a valley, and I'm about 20 miles from the coast. Okay, well, you're probably talking the uh, levels of around about 40 to 60 decibels, um, which if you could hear it would be somebody speaking very loudly. Now, if you were uh, right up close to an interstate or over here a motorway, um, Mm -hmm. you would get levels that if they were audible uh, would be not far off a jet engine. So you'd be 80, 90 plus decibels but because it's it's sound that we don't normally hear it's sound mm-hmm. that uh doesn't we're not sort of consciously aware of but it does have effects on us it can affect us in in many uh many ways and indeed people for a lot for uh, uh the longest time um over in the states and across here have complained about the hum uh, we call it the hummadras or the hum um, and a lot of that is uh, very low-frequency sound, um, still of, an, of largely unknown origin. But the effects of this low-frequency sound on humans has actually been known about for, well, for many hundred years. And, um, well, well, how do we know that? You said the effects of it on humans. First of all, what are the effects, and, and how do we know, if we can't hear it, that it affects us? That's an excellent question. Um, Why, thank you. How we we know it affects us is, um, well, the early early users of infrasound and very low-frequency sound uh, were using it without really being aware of why why and how it was was working. They just discovered it worked. Um, It had effects on people. Um, the sort of effect it would have on people uh, is variable from person to person uh, and doesn't affect uh, everybody within a population. Um, research has suggested that it affects around about a third of the population. So two-thirds of, of, of a group of people probably won't experience much uh, from the, the, the infrasound while a third of, of people will have a, uh, some experience or some effect. And these effects would be, for example, um, a sense of awe or a sense of fear, a sense of apprehension, um, a sense of foreboding, perhaps, uh, or anxiety, an increased anxiety state or an increased arousal state. And these were effects that were not- uh, noticed by... Uh, for example, composers of church music in the uh, 17th and 18th centuries, uh, using large organ pipes, um, they were generating very low frequency sounds, 32 hertz and 16 hertz, um, to give the music more uh, shock and awe, more presence. Um, research is actually in, a, in the Vietnam War discovered that uh, young men on aircraft carriers, would, they would uh, often go up onto the flight deck or, or beneath the flight deck during jet launch periods when uh, the F-4s and uh, F-8s were taking off on missions over, over Vietnam. And they were actually becoming uh, more aggressive and set more sexually aroused by the infrasound shock pulses from the jet engine at full, full afterburner takeoff. Um, 
The first link, though, between infrasound and the paranormal, or any suggested link between infrasound and the paranormal, was made in uh, 1974 by uh, Canadian researcher Professor Michael Persinger. And those who are familiar, of course, with EMF will know that Persinger is also responsible for many of the claims made for electromagnetic fields and indirectly for uh, people using K2 meters. Uh, But back in 1974, uh, Persinger wrote uh, a book which dealt with the mechanisms um, and models of the paranormal experience. And he was particularly looking at the foreboding experience that that people were able to predict uh, earthquakes, for example, by this sense of foreboding, a sense of anxiety, a sense that something was about to happen. And he suggested that infrasound um, may be a component and may be one of the reasons why. But he, he also noted then that there was very, very little research had ever truly been done into the effects of infrasound. Or well, indeed, is, how much isn't that, isn't that the problem? There is very little research being done about it now. Um, in relation to its effects paranormally, then yes, absolutely. There's, there's very little research. There's, there's the research done in the late 1990s, early, in the early noughties by Vic Tandy over here in the UK and also my own PhD work, uh, which follows on from the work of Vic Tandy. Um, there are one or two paranormal groups who claim to be measuring infrasound, um, although their claims are questionable. And in, in terms of infrasound and the paranormal, you're absolutely right. There is very little work actually being done or has been done. But in terms of infrasound uh, and the environment, in recent years, more research has been done as environmental scientists have become more aware uh, of its impact upon, upon people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, um, it's something where... Uh, the a mythology has grown up around infrasound, of course. Um, that, As it do, uh, does with most new. Yeah, I mean, you, you you have a program over there called MythBusters, um, mm-hmm. and they they tested the the legendary brown note uh, on one of their on one of their programs. But the brown note is an infrasound frequency um, of seven hertz, which is which has been uh, said. And given the reputation that is sort of spread by, by uh, myth and folklore, um, that at seven hertz your bowels will uh, spontaneously open, and you nice. will be in uncontrollable spasms of, uh, in a in a right mess all over the floor. Uh, so they actually put this to the test. Um, <laughs> needless, needless to say. Uh, the brown note was was demonstrated to be exactly that. They bust the myth, and it was in fact a myth. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, other mythologies have grown up around it, around infrasound. It can that it can kill, it can knock things over, it can destroy buildings at a distance. Um, it can it can act like some sort of weird death ray. That it can work as a mind control device, a secret frequency for. Uh, controlling people at a distance. Um, none of none of these have ever been demonstrated to be effective. Um, and in fact, those people who do study and measure infrasound quickly realise that that it's it's a very very powerful sound, 
and a very uncontrollable sound, very, very difficult to focus and control. Uh, so the mythology is, is largely that. It is you know, nothing more than a mythology. Okay. So, I mean, I seem to, especially the Brits, tend to blame the paranormal... Uh, no, it's where, where's the word I'm trying to get out of this? You, you tend to explain away the paranormal by using uh, different things like EMF and uh, that it, you know, it's not effective in the paranormal because there are natural sources of it. Is that kind of right or wrong? Or I, I don't think that. I don't think that's just the Brits. I think. <laughs> Um, researchers around the world are able to and, and should look at all claims being made and one of the claims you, you've, you've again touched on on electromagnetics and EMF meters mm-hmm. um, I, something that, that was very much in vogue a few years ago based upon the, the work and the suggestions of mm-hmm. uh, Professor Persinger um, that EMF may, may cause some effects that are paranormal like and mm-hmm. it was sort of turned on its head a little bit by ghost hunters who said that, okay, well, maybe devices like the Trifield, which can detect human energy through a wall, according to the promotional material, could actually detect ghostly energy. Um, the, even the work of Persinger has been largely questioned now by, by subsequent uh, academic researchers. And let's be honest... Um, Ghost researchers, ghost investigators, using devices like the Trifield, uh, the 1394, and the K2, have not yet demonstrated uh, that these devices can, in fact, detect a ghost. And what we're now left with is uh, a range of meters that have that were built to detect cellular phone emissions and microwave oven uh, mm-hmm. emissions, moved on to a claim of, oh, well, no, they can detect paranormal energy. Um, when that failed, the, the operators then said, oh, well, in fact, no, they can't detect ghosts, but they can now communicate with ghosts. And so what you're seeing is a, a shifting set of goalposts uh, in relation to some equipment. But in terms of infrasound... Um, at the moment, the state of the research suggests strongly that infrasound is uh, to blame, should we say, for some people's, some people's paranormal experiences. Um, but not, not on its own and not in isolation. It needs to be uh, present at the right frequency range, at the right sort of levels, but there needs to be something more. Um, because we have infrasound where you are in your house, where I am now, all around us at all of the time, we don't, mm-hmm. we don't have these feelings, we don't report ghosts. Uh, but if you then turn off the lights and tell somebody they're in a haunted building and sit them in the dark, then any sensation created by the infrasound, they are, because they can't taste it, because they can't smell it, because they can't hear it, they are going to blame these unusual experiences or potentially blame these unusual experiences that the infrasound is causing um, on, on the paranormal. And what's also very, very interesting is that in a, an experiment we did um, several years ago, we, we mapped the infrasound inside a large uh, building uh, at a shipyard, a ship construction building, 
Uh, and we mapped the, the infrasound at one metre intervals throughout the building. And we'd also asked a psychic medium to walk through the building and to mark on his plan um, where he felt that the... Well, where he, whatever he wanted to put down on his plan in actual fact. And what he did write is he said that there were areas he identified um, where there was dense psychic energy and less dense psychic energy and an area where there was an apparition and he gave a name. And when you put his map uh, or his plan of dense and less dense psychic energy mm-hmm. over the top of the plan um, showing the infrasound high and low regions within the building, they matched identically. Now, when we talked to the, to, to the medium about this, there was no suggestion that, that he was, you know, making it up or he was aware of what we were doing. But he himself actually turned and said, well, it's because I'm human. I'm being affected by things. I'm being affected by this sound, perhaps. But right. I'm interpreting it in relation to my beliefs. I feel unusual, but because I am a person who believes in um, the psychic and spiritual then I'm more likely to interpret it that way, these unusual feelings in that way. Okay, I understand. Cal, are you with us now? Yeah, I'm with you. I've caught snippets of the show here and there. I, I got up to the bit where you said something about RAF pilots that are sexually aroused, are responsible for <laughs> of course you experiences. would. <laughs> selective listening, like I think. That. Yeah, <laughs> very selective <laughs> listening. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, but the, my, my question Actually, is, is this. Well, Cal, Cal is much younger than you or I, Ron, um, and there is another effect of infrasound that Cal will probably be uh, more likely to remember. As a young teenager, Cal, did you ever ride on the, on the back of a, or the upper back deck of a bus? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or is he gone again? Yeah. No, I'm here. Yes, I did. We'll never know whether Cal actually rode on. Yes, he what, did. I can, I can hear Cal. So I will be like a medium and I will speak to Cal, who is like a spirit. Public transport um, with big diesel engines become sexually aroused because of the vibration of the diesel engine, <laughs> and that's part of an infrasound, low-frequency vibration. Um, so, so Steve, you can hear me, right? Trying to be delicate about that. Steve? <laughs> Steve? Steve, can you hear us? Now everybody's gone. <laughs> we can hear you. Oh, this is too much. Must be going on. It seems that we're doomed on radio. Me and Steve can never actually speak to each other live on air. It's never going to happen. Well, you know what? When, you, when you don't... No, no, it's okay. <laughs> when you don't tell the truth, that's what happens. You know, they just cut you right out. Well. Sorry, Cal. Um, yeah, what happened is your sound dropped out, but I... I I presume you heard what we were saying about buses and teenagers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is that why everyone has the obsession of sitting at the back then? <laughs> uh, no, but it is something that's been noticed um, <laughs> in one of the... I don't know which... It was a psychologist that did the survey. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but, I mean, it's the interesting thing is, is I know that, like, for instance, I, I, let's go back to EMS because most people in the States recognize EMF and ghost hunting and, and whatever. But, it, 
you know, we understand that there are natural sources of EMF. I mean, we know that cell phones, we know about wiring, we know about this. And when you map a building prior to an investigation and you map the areas of EMF, and then you go out and you do an investigation, you have new areas of EMF and with no, no um, obvious uh, source. I mean, that that's what we're kind of interested in. So are you saying, uh, Steve, that in a case like that, that is not paranormal, but normal in uh, how do you, how do you rationalize it? Well, I I would I would suggest first of all that um, you go you're going in to do baseline measurements and they're important, but unless the baseline measurement is continuous throughout the investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, what what you might measure at seven o'clock in the evening might be very different electromagnetically from nine o'clock in the evening. Right, right. And the electromagnetic energy that you're picking up with your meter, regardless mm-hmm. of whatever make or model it is, you're yep. not getting any frequency information from it. So you've no way of knowing whether. The EMF is at very low frequency, or whether, for if, in actual fact, it's coming from a local police vehicle, or uh, an aircraft flying past, or some other radio emission, or indeed something from within your own equipment. Something you 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 know, one of the things that has changed between the baseline measurement done early in the day and the investigation is your team has arrived. And they have mm-hmm. set up a lot of electrical equipment, and they probably have walkie-talkie radios. So you, you might be generating your own EMF. Um, yes, I understand over- that. And, and most good investigators do understand that as well. I mean, but the, the question is, do we, do we know enough about, first of all, if, if you take the assumption that spirits exist, okay, let's just take that assumption and throw it out there. If spirits exist, do we know what type of energy they really produce, if any? And so, for instance, what I'm saying, okay, let's say a spirit exists and it, it produces EMF energy. So you are discounting that by saying, well, it could be radios, could be something else, could be this and this. In other words, you're rationalizing a, a source that you may not be familiar with. Uh well, let's take, the, let's take those points. Um, we don't know, for example, but let, let, let's assume then that ghosts or spirits exist. Yeah, we know that. We know, we know what you don't. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this if we knew okay. for sure. Well, let's, you know, everybody let's, let's, would believe in it. So. Let's, let's, make that assu- let's take that assumption and you let us then, then let's okay. take the, the assumption then that they are generating some energy field, which must be electromagnetic, in order for, for them to be able to manifest uh, visually or audibly or in some way that we, we can interact with them. Right. Um, but we don't know where within the electromagnetic spectrum that energy field lies. Mm-hmm. It's not possible to measure the entire electromagnetic spectrum um, with, any, with, with any form of handheld meter that you or I could afford. Um, and the the sorts of meter that you that that are being used by by ghost hunters simply do not tell you where in the electromagnetic spectrum uh, the 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 EMF that you are measuring is coming right. from. 
So you've no way of knowing for, or discriminating for a taxi. So we have to take a break right now, Steve. So hold on. Yep, you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Steve Passes, Cal Cooper, and Ron Kolick. We'll be right back after the following messages here on TojiNet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. So we'll be right back. Welcome to TojiNet, radio with a cutting edge. of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in Ghost Chronicles, The Next Generation every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except- so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Anne and Ron. See you then. And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Ron Kolick, Cal Cooper, and our very special guest, Steve Parsons, here on TojiNet, uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. If anyone asks a question, they can go into the TojiNet chat room and uh, ask us there, or they can call us at 877-864-4869, 877-864-4869. And we actually have a question from the chat room in... Is so there is there any way to detect spirits if we throw out all the methods we are using now? Uh, well, we don't know. We don't know what we're measuring, and what we do know for certain is that the meters that people are using, the thirteen ninety four, the K two, mm-hmm. any of them, any of the handheld EMF meters, you don't know whether you're measuring twenty hertz or 2,000 hertz. So it could be anywhere in that frequency band. So you've got no way of knowing. You've just had a spike of 10 milligauss. Did it come from a taxi? Did it come from the other side? You've no way of knowing. And so that piece of equipment is useless. Absolutely useless. Because it's telling you nothing. In fact, the information it's giving you is simply misleading you into thinking, oh, well, something's just happened. That something that just happened could have been a cop car going past. Mm-hmm. 
So you're, you're, you're expending energy, you're expending investigative effort in the wrong direction. It's rather like um, thermal imaging cameras and night vision cameras. They're very, very good at what they do. And I know that some TV chair channels, some, some TV programs, have made qu- quite dramatic claims for the thermal imaging camera, for example. But we don't actually know whether uh, spirits, ghosts, can manifest as a thermal, you know, in a thermal way. We, because right. we don't know what they are. But we, we, do know, we do know that since the beginning of time, when they first started recording spirits and ghosts, that they've long been associated with cold spots and with the coldness. That we do know because it's been recorded for hundreds of years. Uh, yes, but there are, good, there are good sound physiological reasons for that. When people get frightened or when people get excited, they feel, you know, they, you've heard the classic, a shiver ran down my spine. It doesn't mean you're actually cold. And a very good, a very good example of that, uh, of the way that the body's physiological system can trick, can trick you, is if you get in, step into a hot bath or a hot shower, you will shiver. Mm. And the reason for that is because the cold receptors are slightly higher in the skin layer than the heat receptors, and so they trigger first. The brain just senses or just gets a signal and shivers because it thinks it's cold initially until the heat sensors kick in. Mm. So we can't actually say, you know, we have got a lot of anecdotal information that says, you know, the room went icy cold, but now temperature is, is unique and interesting, and it's the, one of the very few things, if not the only thing, that I strongly advocate that we need to take very, very seriously, and we do need to measure, because there is more than anecdotal information that temperature, unusual temperature fluctuations, are linked in some way to unusual uh, paranormal spontaneous experiences and this does go back to the late 19th century early 20th century when when for the first time uh psychical researchers started to use calibrated instruments in the study of uh, seance room phenomena and indeed haunted houses uh professors william barrett um and Professor Crooks used uh, very, very temp- uh, sensitive thermometers uh, while studying the the the, uh, the sounds room phenomena of, for example, Daniel Hume um, and Florence Cook. Harry Price noted that unusual temperature fluctuations um, were not just observed and felt, but were recorded and documented by sen- by properly calibrated scientific thermometers and temperature recording equipment both at Borley and within the seance uh, room with for example the medium Stella Cranshaw and so temperature does seem to be in some way changes in temperature not just up but uh, not just down but up as well do seem to be linked to paranormal experiences and so absolutely we should be measuring temperature and we should be measuring temperature at all the locations um, of, of where we're conducting investigations. Cal, what is your uh, opinion on all this? <laughs> no, I, I was uh, just going to reiterate what uh, Steve was saying. I, 
agree when, when he explained the bath situation. I was just about to say that generally when people go into a haunted location and they're investigating at night time, when they start to feel tired, nothing's happening, they sit down and they're probably waiting for something to happen, they start to get tired. They also feel this drop in temperature just from feeling tired as well, which some people then might presume to be paranormal as well. So, you know, there's a we've got to kind of um, separate these big differences between a person's sensory experience and what the actual equipment we're using is telling us just because someone's feeling a drop in temperature you have to find out if that's actually happening around those people and also is it coinciding with paranormal phenomena i mean if we go back to the emf meter again steve would you say we could be more bold as to presume that something paranormal might be going on if we start to get spikes on the emf meter at the same time people in that same location are reporting unusual phenomena right uh, not without the frequency component uh, amplitude alone is meaningless um, we well it's have to not know. meaningless uh, totally i mean you're, you're saying it's absolutely well, meaningless well, you you are getting a reading response. whether you can prove that it has anything yeah. to do with the paranormal or not, but you are definitely, it's not meaningless, you are getting a reading. Yeah, we're getting, no, we're getting half a reading. <laughs> um, a half a reading, okay. We're getting, we're getting half the information and we're also getting it from a piece of equipment that's being used outside its designed parameters. Um, the, the piece of equipment is designed to measure certain things. It is built mm. and calibrated to measure cell phone emission, microwave oven leakage, mm -hmm. uh, man-made emissions of electromagnetic fields. It is not designed, built, sold, or, or in any way calibrated to measure spirit energy. So well, we it is now in the United States. We now have the ghost <laughs> meter, so... Uh... Well, we don't have <laughs> here, fortunately, but it's, you're taking a piece of equipment and you're making it do so you're 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 using it to do something it was never designed and built to do Originally, you're then yep. saying well you know based upon the data that it, we've got from this piece of equipment at operating way out of its box um we're going to make these assumptions now that that to me is not is complete nonsense but if we take the assumption that here is a group of people and they are reporting having an unusual experience and at the same time, we can document the temperature is changing in an unusual fashion. Yeah. That's much more interesting. Because yeah. we, we are getting a complete set of objective information from the thermometer. We're not getting half the information. We're getting all of the information. And the EMF meter is only giving us half the information. We don't know anything about the frequency. We only know about the amplitude. And indeed, the basis for it... Uh, for actually using the EMF meter itself, um, there, is, there is no basis for using the EMF meter for detecting ghosts. The only scientific study that links EMF and the paranormal is the work of Persinger and the God Helmet. That, and his research suggested that when people are subjected to electromagnetic fields of low frequency and varying intensity, they will have an unusual experience that is similar to and mimics um, the sort of experiences that people report in haunted locations, for example. That's the only link between EMF and the paranormal. Yeah. But there are, there are sound scientific investigations and measurements where there is a strong link between temperature and reported spontaneous paranormal experiences. 
the room went icy cold, it was measured to go. The temperature drop was measured and documented, and people reported a an unusual experience simultaneously. And my, that's actually happened on a location where I've been, been present. Hmm. We actually no, have a question from the chat room for you, Steve, and that's from uh, a fellow from the UK, Paul. Uh, he says, if commercially available EMF meters are useless, uh, can he have your 600-pound one? that you were discussing a while back. What is this 600-pound uh, meter that you were discussing? Okay. Yeah, he's, he's referring to a meter that I use, um, and the reason I use the meter is because there are people who make claims about EMF, and mm -hmm. I have to be able to test the claims that they're making. Uh, right. they, and so I have, a, I have a meter. It's made by a German company called Aronia, um, and it costs way more than £600. The £600 is the base model without all of the additions. And oh, that does man. tell you the amplitude and the frequency. And so from uh, 0.1 of a hertz to 3 kilohertz, 3 gigahertz, I've got a full uh, spectrographic electromagnetic frequency readout. But that's not used to find ghosts. That's used to test the claims of people using K2s and 1394s. When they say, we've got a spike, our equipment will say, yes, and there's the cause of it. It's that, it's that band there which is used by um, the BBC or the police or, or whatever. And that's what, what, it, what if you get a band that, that you're not familiar with? I mean, is that any way... Can be concluded as evidence, or uh, well, the the electromagnetic spectrum, both over your side and on this side of the the pond, is very, very, very well regulated. Um, and you can go onto the internet, and you can you can you know, <laughs> there are there are users from almost no hertz, which is you know the military talking to their submarines, way up into twenty three, twenty four and higher gigahertz, which is satellite and, again, the military communication systems. Uh, the electromagnetic spectrum is not just, well, you're regulated. The government have a vested interest because they sell big chunks of it to mobile phone operators and commercial users and broadcasters. Um, and so, you know, if we see a signal, we can almost precisely map uh, the cause. Um, and it, it's it's surprising. Uh, we we do over here in the UK. We get uh, when we go to some locations, you will see uh, an EMF of ten, twenty, thirty milligauss, uh, with no apparent cause. And everybody assumes it's the domestic wiring, or you know, if you go near a wall or a metal object, it seems to be radiating from there. And they mm. say, oh well, it, it must therefore be the main supply frequency, which in the UK is 50 hertz, and in America, of course, is 60 hertz. Um, when we actually measured it with a frequency analysis, uh, the Aronia system that we have, we actually discovered that the, the culprit was the BBC's World Service radio transmitters, um, and it was way much higher in frequency than the mains wiring. Um, mm. And, you know, that wasn't responsible. But a myth had grown up that, you know, if you get a high EMF and then you get a, um, one of these detectors for finding wires hidden inside the walls of a building, if you can't find wires, it must be paranormal. Uh, in actual fact, it's probably your local AM or FM radio station. 
Okay, we actually have another question from uh, Brian at the Collingwood Inn. He says, what is your opinion on natural EMF meters like the tri-field meter that measure DC fields instead of man-made AC fields? Well, again, we don't know the frequency information. Um, without that second part, we don't know whether we're, uh, whether we're looking at part, uh, the Earth's magnetic field. If you take one of the, the DC meters, like the tri-field, um, and you move it, then it will detect, it It will register because it's moving through a magnetic field rather than the magnetic field moving past it. Um, you're moving it through a magnetic field. And the Earth's magnetic field is not static. And you get local variances within the Earth's geomagnetic field. And that can be caused by man-made objects too. In fact, the military have been using that for years um, on the sub-hunting aircraft, if you, the U.S. Navy's P-3 Orion and the British Nimrod have a stinger at the back end of the aeroplane, and inside that stinger is a big DC magnetometer, uh, a very expensive version of a tri-field meter, in effect. And it detects the, the way the Earth's magnetic field is bent by the submarine, by the big metal mass of a submarine passing through the Earth's magnetic field. It measures... That magnetometer can measure the distortion of the submarine. And so man-made objects can distort local magnetic fields. If you put your magnetometer down, for example, on top of your metal flight case, it will, it will read differently than if you put it on top of a wooden box. Or if you walk past it with a pocket full of metal or, or you know, other metal objects, you are bending the, the local magnetic field around the meter and it will start to give you a reading. Now, so I guess the way to say it is, is that it, we really don't have any instrumentation that we could really use for ghost hunting uh, as far as to prove, uh, to, to collect evidence. Um, perhaps the best thing is our own personal experiences. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I would advocate and, and have become a very strong advocate that the, the greatest piece of... Well, if you're going to measure anything at all, measure temperature. I would strongly urge all paranormal investigators um, to take a keen interest in temperature, and, but measure it properly. Don't just wave these laser things around because you're not going to get reliable information. Um, but measure temperature. Rely on the, four set, on the, on the five God-given senses, but also understand that, as Cal and any psychologist will tell you, that your five senses are going to trick you and let you down. Um, but if you have, there are ways you can work around that. If there are two of you in, in, the, same lo in the same room, in the same location, um, mm -hmm. you, you can have one person verify another person's experience. And that's why ghost hunting on your own is not a great idea. So, so Cal, Cal, let me ask you this. I mean, in, in my book, uh, Ghost Today, uh, 365 Ghost Stories, we talk about one of the first recorded cases of uh, ghost hunting, which goes back to 94 B.C. in uh, Greece, where uh, a fella goes to investigate a uh, haunted house. In the haunted house, they see a man with chains. He goes, he follows the, the man to the garden, marks the spot, next day he goes back there, they find the chains, 
they dig a hole, excuse me, they find chains buried of this supposedly belonging to this spirit. They properly bury this uh, this fella, and then the haunting cease. So what, what have we learned from that little passage? <laughs> well, um... Take it, take it, first of all, you have to take it at face value, okay? I mean, it's a witness account. Okay, this is the only witness account. I mean, it's quite interesting, I suppose, if they weren't familiar with that location and its history and who'd lived there. And also, seeing this apparition, if they could both kind of go away separately and write down an account of what they saw, compare, and it appears they both saw the same apparition. Um, with the same style of clothing and these chains, that would be quite impressive. And also then actually finding this body and the chains in a particular place that the apparition stopped, that's also interesting. But, to say, you know, at the end of the day, with this, we're not left with much apart from, you know, now, we're only left with an account of the actual oh, event. Oh, oh. Right. Hang on, could I jump in here? Because... Yeah, <laughs> um, you see, first of all, I'd like to absolutely clarify that... Uh, whilst uh, EMF infrasound and you know can explain some people's experiences within haunted locations, I am not for one minute suggesting that this explains and becomes a universal panacea explainer all of all paranormal phenomena. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, the case that 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 you're both referring to is actually, you know, say, the, one of the very first document, properly documented cases took place in Athens, um, and the philosopher Athenodorus Correct. Uh, re rented the property. What was very, very interesting is so he advocated 2,000 years ago something that, that I advocate strongly, is that the best way to ghost hunt is not to ghost hunt. And Athenodorus encountered the spirit... Um, but ignored it. He continued to he continued to write and he continued to read. He continued to do normal things, mm -hmm. and it was only after the third or fourth night that he got up and he followed the spirit into the garden and noted the point where it disappeared, and then had somebody excavate the spot. They found the bones. Day. They found chains, right. and they 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 performed a proper a proper. Burial. I was going to say Christian burial. Yeah, not um, at that time. <laughs> and the haunting ceased. But right. there are many, many, many documented cases where we simply can't explain a very, very compelling set of circumstances um, that that strongly suggest that there is something unusual taking place, something paranormal taking place, and yet. Once we clear a path through, let's, let's stop playing with EMF meters and wasting our time using them because they're misleading us. Let's stop using digital cameras uh, for photographing orbs and claiming that they're spirit energy because, again, we're just wasting time. We're, we can't see the wood for the trees. But let's not ignore what's under our nose and that there is a huge, uh, a vast... A library of cases, well-researched, well-documented cases, going back, as you say, over 2,000 years, that strongly suggests that there is something taking place that people, uh, the parapsychologists, um, like Cal, like, like J.B. Ryan, like Kieran O'Keefe, like Lloyd Auerbach, simply are dismissing um, 
and they're suggesting that oh, well, it's all in the mind. Oh, well, no, 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 no. I wasn't necessarily dismissing it. You just presented me with a case. Um, I was just having to go parapsychologist. You know how yeah. I love. I love that. <laughs> right, I'm fighting back now. Then <laughs> you just presented me with a case and said, "What do you think of that?" Now I had to go over a lot of research recently and, and research methods for how to deal with these phone call cases, and so I had to go and look at parapsychologists like Dr. Ria White, who suggested that if we step away from the laboratory and we take accounts of people seeing ghosts or having psychic experiences, then, as you said, Steve, we have got to kind of step away from the ghost busting, wanting to go and be this perfect detective and find answers for everything. If we take the accounts and start to compare them to other people's experiences and start to verify eyewitness accounts and so forth, then the truth tends to come towards rather than us trying to find the truth. And this is what I've done with the phone call cases, not just by having one case that I try to rip to pieces trying to actually find, well, is it psychological? Is the fraud involved? I've had to take a load of accounts, but in each one I've had to actually try and eliminate as far as possible what evidence is available. So I, I am definitely, you know, I'm more of the, I prefer the field investigation side and the observation side of paranormal research rather than the lab stuff. I, I think there can be more gained from looking into people's experiences of ghosts and hauntings and psychic experiences compared to what we can try and weed out of the laboratory. So um, I, I don't want to be put into the camp where I'm going to dismiss this stuff. I think, it, I think it's more important than the lab stuff, personally. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> well spoken. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think it is the personal experience that, that, that really are important to uh, us as researchers. I, you know, you're right about the meters and everything. They, they really can't tell you too much. They... They just measure whatever they're supposed to measure, and that's it. Um, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, Ron. They measure what they're supposed to measure, not what we think that we would like them to measure. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we, if we stop wasting time with this sort of dodgy equipment... I mean, there's a new one now, the, the Paranormal Amp, um, that, that's gone on sale for $99. Uh, you know, hardly a week goes by without some paranormal group creating the next you know ghost gadget must have ghost right. gadget um and it's it's just you know it's 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 cheap opportunism and exploitation um well it's not cheap is it um you know we forget that you know there is something going on that a lot of sensible people have reported unusual experiences and also as you know people who have who have gone out of the lab like cal like cal advocates um, and that you know, you you look at people like Professor William Barrett, Crooks, Sir Oliver Lodge. These people started off as scientists and as sceptical inquiries who looked at the paranormal with a degree of scepticism and with critical and applied critical thinking, and they came away ultimately convinced and. Uh, became all, almost advocates for the spiritualist point of view, and that to me is always—I've always found that interesting. I know. I know. We're just about out of time now. I, I think we've got a couple minutes left. But you know, one thing that definitely intrigued me is is your uh, approval of temperature. That's the pizza is here, so we've only got two minutes left. <laughs> uh, so I mean, 
Let me ask you, Steve, if you were to do a proper investigation working with temperature, how would you, as a investigator, researcher, do it? Um, I would I would measure the, the temperature in as many locations throughout the building as possible in a continuous fashion, and there are lots of data logging devices that are available mm-hmm. to, to. Right, to we use data logs ourselves. Yeah, yeah, um, and they're, they're a great tool. They're, they they give us the we can do the baseline virtually continuously, and you can put them throughout the location. Right. In fact, and you can actually, you could actually pin them to the people within the you know within within your team. We've actually done that in the past. Really. I, I like that idea. We've never done that, and I, I think that has a, a lot of, uh, yeah, well, yeah. I like that idea quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if we, if you're on an investigation, you you come in, and all of a sudden someone is feeling a cold spot or a cold. What do you measure? What What have you got on you other than your your tension? Let's let's say we don't all have temperature logs on us. So what piece of equipment do we measure with? Do we measure with a laser thermometer? Do we no, measure no. with the a... Only piece, the, only, the only thermometer that you can measure, uh, if somebody says it, it's really, really cold, I've gone suddenly very, very cold, it, the only reliable piece of equipment is the Type K, uh, type K or Type J thermocouple thermometer. The thermocouple, the probe thermometer, the one that can actually measure the temperature of the air it's in and respond very quickly. Uh, sort of like the malmeter, which it's got the the uh, EMF readings on it as well. Isn't that great? Isn't that just wonderful? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, some, uh, some we, of the we new models have got a little uh, nightlight as well. I, um, I love it. I love it. But anyways, uh, we're just about out of time. You, you want to give your promo for whatever you'd like? Uh, yeah, if people want to read more about infrasound, if they go to the Parascience website, uh, which is www.parascience.org.uk, and use the site map, they can find a lot more information about infrasound and the current state of infrasound research uh, in s- some articles on the website. Well, Steve, I want to thank you so much. And, and Cal, of course, you pleasure. have your book coming out, uh, Phone Calls from the Dead. Is that out yet in the UK? I'm just finishing off the index. It'll be out in a couple of weeks. I need to get it to the printers ASAP. It'll be out soon, so go to my website. Exciting stuff. And, Steve, you know, I feel a lot better about you now than I have in the past, so uh, you have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) So, from Ghost Chronicles International, Ron Cole, Cal Cooper, and Steve Fasen. Good night and God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.